The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Good. So, like I mentioned, we're finishing up these ten paramis, these ten enlivening and beautiful and liberating qualities of the heart that we develop, we cultivate. Mostly we cultivate these ten qualities by recognizing them and keeping them in mind. So with metta as one of the ten, this basic goodness, this basic friendliness of the heart, then our homework this week and maybe for a couple of weeks, like what does it take to keep loving kindness in mind? And you know, I, I always hesitate using the word loving kindness because it tends to make it seem like it's something, but you know, it's actually more about what's not there, the absence, right? Because we have this chronic, most of us, some of us more than others, right, are aversive types. But even if you're not an aversive type, we all have this tendency, almost like a default, to be relating and perceiving the world through this critical, judgmental, fear-based lens, right? Do you notice that? Well, that's the first step, to start to notice that, because it, it's such a default. It's like they say, you know, fish don't know they're swimming in water. Well, we could extend that basic point to like, humans don't know they're swimming in aversion and fear, because it's our default lens. You know, that some of you, some of us are more controlling. Some of us, some of you maybe, maybe are more like victimized, feeling victimized by the meanness and the uncertainty in the world. So whether your lens has more the flavor of fear or your lens has more the flavor of aggression, right, that may be specific to how we've been conditioned in, you know, through culture, through our upbringings. <clears throat> but they're both aversion, both the fear and the aggression. They're just different expressions of this this kind of certainty that the mind can get um, addicted to. This is not okay. This is not okay. And the heart feels justified in pushing back. And the truth is, and this is sort of... Uh, makes this practice dependent on real wisdom. The truth is, a lot of people, certainly all of us in moments, and some people in a lot of moments of their life, they have justifiable reasons to be afraid, and to be angry, and to even have hate. So, when we talk about metta, keeping in mind the basic goodness of the heart, we're not saying to people or to ourselves when we <clears throat> notice anger, <laughs> and sometimes that anger being quite justified, or fear, and sometimes that fear being quite justified. <clears throat> excuse me, we're not saying we shouldn't be afraid or we shouldn't be angry. We're just asking the question <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> we're just asking the question. What is the right way for me to be relating to the anger I'm feeling? Or what is the right way for me to be relating to the fear that I'm feeling? 
So you see, it's really important because otherwise we hear the teachings on metta, on loving kindness, and we, you know, this is the, this is samsara, how we always replicate more suffering for ourselves. We use the presence of aversion to hate ourselves or to long to be different than we are. So when there is fear, <clears throat> when there is irritation, when the person you love most, like your partner or the cat or your dog, you know, the being you love most is irritating you, right? Is that going to be the cause for self-hatred? Like, I'm such a jerk. Or can it be the cause for, oh, I'm really irritated and it hurts. And I care about that. As a human being, noticing that aversion has gotten triggered, noticing that av that aversion is a contraction, it's heavy, it hurts. That could be the grounds for metta, for realizing an authentic, oh honey, this is hard. Being a human being, being triggered, having fear and aversion, fear and aggression triggered, that that's hard and I care about it. And I care enough to relate to the aversion, to the fear, to the aggression with kindness. <clears throat> that isn't giving fear and aggression a free pass to, you know, cause ourselves suffering, cause other people suffering. When we care about it, we're actually able to be closer to it. And what do you think we discover when we get close to all of our habits of aggression and control and judgment and all of our habits of closing down and feeling being the victim and feeling afraid and crawling into one hole or another? What do you think we discover? We discover that it's not functional, like it doesn't help. They're there. They're lawful, like our habit of being afraid, our habit of hitting back. It's lawful, but it isn't the only way for us to relate to the pain that comes with being a human being. It's just one way, and when we look at it closely, honestly, with no spin, we see it isn't a very functional way to be finding our way through life. It doesn't work very well. It always leads, leaves this trace in our heart, which is heavy and makes it more likely that we're going to do the same thing and get the same result. So it takes us down a pathway that leads to us having a world and families and relationships like we have often in our lives. There's a little passage from a story about the, the Dalai Lama that I like, and some of you have heard it before. But the Dalai Lama uh, was giving a talk and someone asked at the end, why didn't you fight back against the Chinese? Now, a lot of you know that Tibet back in the late 50s was taken over by the Chinese government. And since then, so for quite a while now, whatever that is, 70 years or so, there's been tremendous injustice and oppression of the Tibetan people um, over all these decades. And so this person asked, why didn't you fight back against the Chinese? Because until recently, the Dalai Lama was not just the spiritual head of the Tibetan people, he was also the political head. And uh, 
the Dalai Lama gave this really powerful answer. He, he looked down, swung his feet a little bit, looked back up at us and said with a gentle smile, well, war is obsolete, you know. And then after a few moments, his, his face grave, he said, of course the mind can rationalize fighting back, but the heart, the heart would never understand. Then you would be divided in yourself, the heart and the mind, and the war would be inside you. So this is the thing, that it doesn't mean, you know, there is clearly real injustice in our relationships with each other, in the wider world, around class and race and sex and, you know, gender orientation. There's real injustice, groups being taken advantage of, groups dominating other groups groups not wanting to share the power and privilege that they have. This is happening. It's not okay. We should find ways to address this. And all of our tendencies to want to, to feel justified, like being in a lawsuit, like I'm just talking like within our own heart and mind. I like that term, lawsuit, I don't know if anybody knows the I Ching, but it's a sort of a div divination uh, system in early, I guess, Taoism. It, it probably comes out of Taoism. But uh, one of the text uh, translations for these habits of our mind, they use the translation lawsuits, because that's what it's like. These places where we're experiencing what seems to us like some injustice or some abuse or some insult and then the mind our mind feels justified in creating a lawsuit within our own mind you know we feed the lawsuit we spin and we spin it's like uh, picking on a scab you know we keep but it does it just gets in the way of healing now it's not to say that if some strong words are needed that we shouldn't speak the strong words or we shouldn't do we shouldn't organize. It's not saying any of that. It's just saying that fuming with aversion and fear or self-righteousness or hatred is what it is. And we can know for ourselves what it is. We can feel the effects of spinning in those lawsuits. So you don't need me or anybody to tell you that they're not helpful. The question is, are we willing to investigate for ourselves? All the little and big lawsuits that we have in our hearts, right? Are we willing to investigate? What is the net effect of me spinning and feeding these lawsuits? What? Who gets what from this mental activity of aversion and fear? What is the gain? Does the mind get clearer? Does the mind become more able to engage and do what needs to be done in the world? In some ways, like if we've been chronically the victim, like if that's been the mode that our heart has used to handle pain, is to sort of close down, then actually the heat of anger and acting out might be a step in the right direction, actually. So we just have to uh, be willing to find our way towards what is practically more functional, and if we keep doing that, we will move 
in the direction of metta. Metta is not weak. <laughs> this capacity to be unafraid and not caught in the contraction of aversion makes our engagement in the world, in relationship and bigger um, issues of you know, changing our society, it makes us powerful agents. It doesn't make us weak. And I think this is one of the ways that we can, um, you know, I love this part, and I don't know if anybody has been reading along in Sylvia Borstein's book. We've been using this as one of the main texts, along with uh, Ajahn Sushito's book on the Paramis. But this is Sylvia Borstein, one of the founders of Spirit Rock and uh, California, one of our grandmother institutions, and it's pay attention for goodness sake, practicing the perfections of the heart, the Buddhist path of kindness. So she covers all 10 of the paramis, uh, generosity, this commitment to non-harming, to renunciation, the wisdom of non-attachment, resoluteness and energy and patience and equanimity Truthfulness, I think that's all ten of them. And then the last chapter is on metta, loving kindness, or this basic goodness of the heart. And, uh, you know, and Sylvia is, is really clear how about the power and the nimbleness of loving kindness to help us find our way. It's not a weak force, it's not a giving up, it's really a powerful way to be engaging our lives. There's real stability because the mind, the heart isn't being fragmented. When we're afraid and when we're aversive and angry, like identified with that lens, then it limits the creativity because we're, what really allows us to respond powerfully in a moment is the connection, is the intimate and open and fearless and relaxed connection, then we can really nimbly, creatively, and powerfully do what needs to be done for, the, for our own good and for the good of everyone. But when we're caught in whatever vortex we're caught in, greed, fear, aversion, the capacity to respond appropriately and powerfully is really limited. So we have to change the idea that love is not powerful, right? Because it, it, I don't know if, it, if everyone has that, but I think culturally we have this sense that anger is powerful and love is nice, but it's kind of weak. You know, it's for suckers. Kindness is for suckers. Sure, if you're content, you know, being oppressed and letting everyone walk all over you, then kindness is your way. So that that story, we have to actually investigate for ourselves. What is the most powerful force? Some of you maybe were here last Sunday and I talked about the soft power of mindfulness. It's on our YouTube channel if you missed it. And just thinking that at the beginning of the new year, it might be nice to revisit like why do we keep talking about mindfulness you know what's the big deal about mindful awareness and i talked about you know it is a soft but uh 
unstoppable power. I called it the universal solvent. Like when we hold, when we meet the moment with this inclusive presence, this openness, it really, nothing gets in the way. It really dissolves whatever feels like is in the way of us doing what needs to be done. And this profound openness is really not different from metta, this basic goodness of the heart. So this is what we can investigate. Start where it's easy, where you feel safe. It's warm. You're petting your cat. You have soup in your belly, you know, and you've got a little free time. So you feel relatively safe, something like that. And just feel that absence of fear. Notice the safety because of the absence of fear. Because it's always useful to learn where it's easy to learn. Don't start trying to find metta, that basic goodness, when you're feeling attacked on all sides, because it won't be as easy. And it builds momentum to start where it's easy. So those moments where you feel safe, notice this capacity to be close. Notice the capacity of your heart to fearlessly include everything that's happening in the moment. Not to be dependent on any kind of distancing, any habit of separation. It's almost like I sometimes use that image of growing roots in all directions into the moment. Or another way I like to talk about is saying yes to everything. But find moments in your day where you feel safe saying yes, where you feel safe saying yes to everything. And really begin to notice what that feels like. For those of you who are going to stay for the small group sharings uh, for the at uh, 11.45 uh, <clears throat> Central Time, so in about 15 minutes, this is something you could talk about in your small groups. And if you don't stay for that, you could just find a good friend in the next week to talk, to share, or just do some journaling or reflecting on your own. Where in my days do I experience that willingness to say yes to everything as an act of love, real love, practical love, non-fear, non-aversion. And notice, get curious about the non-aversion. There's no aversion in my heart. There are no boundaries. There are no walls. There's no need for armor right now. What does that feel like not to need defense? not to need armor, not to need a lawsuit to feel real. You know, like, you know how we use self-righteousness? I mean, this is, I think most of us feed on the news precisely to uh, feed this habit of self-righteousness. And we feel in a funny, terrible way, real, because we're contracted in our self-righteousness. You know, I'm good and they're bad. And this duality of good and bad, we have to be, we have to experiment. Do I need the duality of good and bad? Because love, real spiritual love, goes beyond good and bad. Because when we're really in touch with that upwelling of 
friendliness, goodness, we can't help but feel that toward our enemies. doesn't mean we don't have enemies. There may be real threats in our life. There may be people who are out to get us, who are abusing us, that we should stay away from, that we need to find some power to protect ourselves. So it doesn't diminish the practical threats that exist for people. They're real, those threats, right? But we don't need hate. We don't need to throw those people out of our hearts. We, we might need to stay away from them. We might need to even put them in jail. Who knows, depending on the situation. But do they need our hate? Does our hate help them or help us? Does it help anybody? Or is it just a dead weight in our hearts and in the world? And a weight that limits our creative and fearless response. And that's, again, it's not about judging. It's about finding our way, each of us, and being curious about what actually works. And so as we take our time in, in that handout that I put out early, I'll paste it again in the chat in case anybody didn't get it. <clears throat> but there are a couple articles, one from uh, Sharon Salzberg, um, a couple paragraphs from Ajahn Sushito, um, a little handout that I put together about the actual practice of developing that metta, how to arouse it, how to feel the expansive upwelling of that, that generous heart, how to notice the quality of boundlessness. That's when we really sense the power everything can be included. There is nothing in the world I need to be afraid of. It doesn't mean there aren't scary things in the world. It just means that there's a deepening understanding that fear doesn't help me deal with the scary uncertainties or the mean powers in the world. What helps is being close and understanding so I know how best to respond, how best to take care of myself and take care of others, how not to contribute to more suffering. Arjun Sumedho, when he was, he's one of our, um, he's a Western Buddhist monk and uh, one of our elders in our early Buddhist tradition. He wrote, when he was defining like what metta is, he says it's not dwelling on the unpleasantness or faults of any situation inside or outside of oneself. So because we're not dwelling on the unpleasantness, right, we're seeing the whole picture. That's what allows us to respond more effectively, right? We're not fixated on the what we're afraid of. Because we're relaxed, because we're willing to some degree to put the armor down, we can have a more inclusive connection to the moment, to what's happening. So our response will come out of that. This is from the Buddha. Just as water cools both good and bad and washes away all impurity and dust, in the same way, you should develop thoughts of love to friend and foe alike. And having reached perfection in love, you will gain awakening. 
and the simple statement from Eleanor Roosevelt. I was so, I was looking at some of her other writings, and uh, yeah, she just had a lot of earthy wisdom. And this is this is just a simple little teaching. She, if you you know, uh, President Roosevelt's partner, Eleanor Roosevelt, the giving of love is an education in itself. So like just for the rest of today and then tomorrow and then the next day. It's like just assuming there is this capacity, this generous upwelling of the heart as we meet each moment, whatever it might be, what would that upwelling of the heart feel like and look like? And it's an education because so much of what we're going to bump up against is, well, no, not here. I can't be generous here. You know, this person or this situation isn't actually worthy of my friendliness. Don't we feel that way sometimes? I mean, fortunately, when my spouse and I can joke about this, um, but there are a lot of times we feel justified, like, oh no, I've got to throw my spouse out of my heart because they didn't do what I wanted them to do. And, and I'm not going to be duped. I'm not going to be the sucker and sort of be loving when they didn't put the dishes away. Or, you know what I mean? It's sort of like we, we get into these weird spaces like, but what we're really doing is harming ourselves. We're really cutting ourselves off from life. Aversion and fear, anger, are all various strategies for cutting ourselves off from life. And then what do we feel? We feel cut off. And that's unpleasant, which makes us more aversive. And we do more of the same. And it becomes a habit. It becomes a lifestyle. You know, irritation, anger, control, domination, victimhood, these, all these different expressions of aversion, they become our lifestyle. Just like Consumerism can become a lifestyle. We live and breathe to shop, to get something new, to have more. And all of these lifestyles based on greed, hatred, and delusion are fundamentally, essentially, always unsatisfactory. That's dukkha. And the dukkha arises because of this way of relating. We're relating through aversion, through greed, through delusion. So metta is a way of liberating the heart because it really is based on this non-aversion. And this is an inherent capacity, right? We don't have to teach our heart how to be loving. We have to remember or sort of sense when it's already inclusive, when the heart is already saying yes to the moment. And then we have to see how that yes, that inclusive yes, that relaxed and generous yes, how that might continue moment by moment by moment. Or if I can do it when conditions are really suitable, like those moments of real safety, well, maybe I can do it in more and more and more moments. That's what we can explore this week. That's what you can talk about in your small groups. 
And uh, if you didn't get a chance to read Sylvia's chapter on loving kindness, I'll just read a couple paragraphs because it's there's some things that are really nice. This is right at the beginning of the chapter in her book, Pay Attention for Goodness Sake. If I make blessing my habit, if I meet each moment with equal benevolence, my mind relaxes and all of my rehearsed reasons for resenting are redeemed by goodness. My relief of not using categories of affection, most favorite, semi-favorite, so-so, not really, and not at all, as criteria for kindness, invites my mind for its own benefit to forgive. So that's another nice invitation, isn't it? Like, just notice as you go through your day, oh, these people, this person is worthy of, you know, my wholehearted love. This person, you know, I don't really know, so I won't be mean, but th- I, I don't want to waste my love on them, right? This person, absolutely. They need my aversion. They need my hatred. They need to know that iciness of my heart, right? And just to see the silliness and dysfunction of all of that. She goes on and writes, um, being on good terms with all my life allows me to feel safe and convinces me that loving-kindness must be the universal antidote to suffering, that it must be what everyone wants most. And again, we don't have to have this scarcity view like it's going to run out. So we have to see that the more the heart opens with that natural goodness, the more natural goodness there is. It does not run out. But we know, you know, we have to be honest. We have the belief that it's limited. And I have to be stingy with my goodness, with my love. And the last thing we should do is give love to someone who isn't deserving. I don't know if people caught. There was, you could probably Google this. I thought it was really powerful. And I know no, none of us are perfect in. Uh, is it David Chappelle? Is not perfect either. But he had an amazing um, monologue. I think it was on Saturday Night Live after this last election. So maybe that was um, the second week in November, something like that. You can probably Google it. And uh, he just uh, spoke the truth in a really powerful ways that some of us need to hear, many of us need to hear over and over again. But one of the things he said, you know, around race is, um, you know, how we have this idea, like when we see somebody asking for money and we see their class or we see their race or we see our mental conditioning about that person and notice how we have these ideas, kind of deserving, definitely deserving, definitely not deserving. And one of the things he said in that monologue is, you know, Something like, consider giving money, when people ask, to people you don't think are deserving, and notice what that feels like. Notice what happens. Finding ways to break through the, these sort of arrogant certainties in our mind. Like there's that famous quote, I don't know if it's from Longfellow, but you know, more than 100 years ago, if we knew the secret histories of our enemies, I forget how it ends, but you kind of get the idea, they wouldn't be our enemies. If we knew 
causes and conditions that people live through, we would put people in boxes of deserving, not deserving, who knows if you're deserving. And that's just an interesting exploration to kind of move through the day as if everybody, including myself, is deserving of love. Yeah. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.